0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. And then, you know, once that was over, he started asking us questions and got us back on track and you know, thinking like writers again. And but you know, it's great to have people like that in the community that you can turn to and go, like, I am overwhelmed. What 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 do I need to do? What get me back, you know, sort of in going in the right direction. I wanna be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. You're listening to the Producers Perspective Podcast with your host, Tony Award winner, Ken Davenport. Her range needs expanding Her edges need sanding, But she can become
1: that's Tony nominee Beth level from one of this season's best musical Tony award nominees the prom we've got the book writer and lyricist to the prom on the podcast this week Chad Beglin he's gonna tell you all about the show and all about his incredible career he has been nominated six times for these Tony Awards Uh, I mean first of all before I isn't Beth level just amazing why I She's got cords of steel, this woman. Cords of steel. I worked with her on Showboat back in 19-something. Anyway, before we get to Chad, the prom, and everything else on this week's podcast, let me tell you that this episode is brought to you by The Long Room. 120 West 44th. It's a bar. It's a restaurant. It's a good time establishment. Get the wings. They are amazing. Get the oysters as well. I actually don't know that firsthand because I don't like oysters, but everyone tells me they are also amazing. Go visit The Long Room. Thank them for supporting this podcast and the theater. Tell them the Producers Perspective podcast sent you. They'll give you something free. I actually don't know that's true. I made that up, but hopefully they will. All right, let's go to this episode. But before we do, a little bit more of Beth Level and The Prom. Hello, everybody. It's Ken Davenport. Welcome back to the Producer's Perspective podcast. I'm very excited. It is Tony's season. Everyone's very excited. We've got another nominee on the podcast today, uh, which is actually really not new for this guy. He's been nominated six damn times already. Um, but please welcome to the podcast Mr. Chad Beglin. Welcome, Chad.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Which, by the way, Chad just told me a great way to remember how to pronounce his name, which is... If you want a part in Hamilton, you've got to beg Lynn. So now you'll never forget it.
1: Now you know why he's a writer. <laughs> uh, he is, um, just to give a few of his credits, the book writer and lyricist for this season's breakout hit The Prom, which had both Ben Branley and Jesse Green uh, calling it the should win best musical of the year, which is how exciting. Let's just start there. I'm going to forget <laughs> the rest of the bio because when two New York Times critics, not one, because they rarely ever agree on this.
0: Right. Two
1: of them come and say your show should win the Best Musical Tony Award. How did that make you feel?
0: Uh, it's great, because, you know, of course they both uh, agreed that it would not win, um, so that, you know, sort of hurt. But, uh, but no, it's great to know that, you know, that two top critics like that really believe in the show I I, it really you know award season is such a crazy time because you're put into competition with all these people that are your friends and so it's just this weird time so any little sort of positive moment is one that should be cherished
1: well I think Once on this Island was a should win for one of them so let's hope that that uh, rubs off uh also just some more of his credits you wrote the book and lyrics uh, additional lyrics for Aladdin as well as the book and lyrics to The Wedding Singer and Elf and a ton of others but I want to go back to actually when I first heard about you was this little musical that you wrote called The Rhythm Club yes so this was your first show that you wrote was it the first one
0: it was it was the first sort of real show i mean we had uh my writing partner matthew Sklar and i had written a couple of small shows that got readings or or productions at, at small regionals but this was the first one that was slated to go to broadway and uh you know was felt like you know it seemed like it was going to be our broadway debut but fate had other ideas in store for us uh,
1: I remember I think it was being passed around this city on cassette because this is 19 what oh, in the 90s uh, or 2000 oh, or 2000? oh no
0: it was yeah it was in the 90s so it was it was a long time ago yeah
1: And how did you get the attention of the producers then to even be slated for Broadway? Where did you come from? How did that happen?
0: Well, what had happened was I was going to NYU, and I was originally going for acting, and I was a terrible actor, and I just by happenstance took uh, an elective class in playwriting taught by Doug Wright, of all people, before he was Doug Wright and he pulled me aside and he said you should be doing this you should be writing and I was sort of relieved because I was auditioning and was terrible had terrible stage fright I just had no business trying to be an actor so I immediately uh, got a double uh, degree one in drama and one in dramatic writing and then actually stayed and got my master's in dramatic writing and along this time I submitted some scripts to uh, the now defunct musical theater works and I got a rejection letter from uh, their literary manager, Andrew Barrett, and I thought, he said he liked my work, so I thought, well, I can't, you know, maybe here's a chance. So I wrote him back and I said, can I please take you to lunch and just get any sort of notes or any sort of, let me pick your brain. And by then, he had seen a production at NYU of Godspell that uh, Matthew Sklar had music directed. And he said, uh, you know, do do you ever think of composing? And Matt said, that's what I want to do. So they uh, sort of set us up on this, you know, career blind date at a diner (laughs) in the East Village. And we hit it off. And so one of our first shows that we wrote was The Rhythm Club. And it was an original uh, idea. Based on sort of, you know, it was Hamburg right before the war, and uh, swing and jazz music were forbidden, but there were all these undernight clubs. And it's about this group of teenagers that tries to put together a, a band as a way to escape, you know, figuratively and literally. And we went to the ASCAP workshop, and we applied, and we got in. And what they do is they present about 35, 40 minutes of your work to a panel of professional Broadway writers. And so it was Stephen Schwartz who really was has been a great mentor to us. And that's where the producers saw those 35 minutes and said, we're going to do this.
1: So I have so many questions. <laughs> that was a so, long way around. No, me? I love it. So. You were not having very much success as an actor. You right. had a terrible stage fright. Why the f were you here acting in the first place? <laughs> what brought you? You like I gotta be involved in the theater. You loved it that
0: much, even I, though I'm bad at it. Yeah, I loved the theater. I had. Uh, I'm from a very small town in Southern Illinois. We're actually uh, St. Louis is our big town. That's how southern it is. And I loved. I did community theater. I did high school theater, and I. Heard about, and I actually was going to go to Sarah Lawrence or Bard, and I graduated a year early and I freaked out. And I, because I was just turning 16, and I was like, I can't do this. So I did a year at Indiana University because they had rolling, admi- uh, rolling admissions, so I just, okay, this, this will be safe, I'll be close to home. And then I decided, no, I really want to be in New York, and um, I just didn't think, I, I was so, you know, green that I was like, oh, well, they have an acting school, so I, I auditioned and got in, which is hilarious because I had to do a Shakespearean monologue and I'd never done a Shakespearean. I don't know why they let me in. It was the craziest thing when I heard I got in. I was like, really? But, you know, the more time I spent, uh, even freshman year before Doug's class, I was writing, uh, I, I, I wrote a couple plays. I put them up myself with, you know, actor friends and, you know, spaces in the dorm which you could rent out. You know, I was just already doing it. And then, you know, Doug just sort of Wait, come on. Let's let's focus over here.
1: I'm going to talk about Chad like he's not in the room right now, (laughs) but he's known for being one of the nicest guys in the business, and you can hear why. I'm sure you were not. You were a pretty damn good actor if you just got into NYU. (laughs) You're just very humble about it. And do you remember what one of those first plays that you staged in like your site-specific theater dorm was? I
0: do. Well, actually, the very first thing that happened, which was crazy, is I was put into. You know, at NYU, they do studios, and I was put into Playwrights Horizons, and because they had asked me in my audition, I said, well, I also like to write, and I like to direct, and, and so they put me at Playwrights, and the guy that was running the school then was John Woolf, and I had no idea how these things work, and I said, I've written a play... And it's a bunch of monologues, but they connect. And I think you should do it at Playwrights. <laughs> and he said, are you insane? And I was like, well, what? I think you don't at least read it. And he's like, you shouldn't You shouldn't even think that is possible until you're 40 or 50. And I was like, okay, well, um, if you don't do it, then I'll just do it in the dorm. I'll rent out a room. And, uh, and he said, okay, well, let me read it. And um, I came back after the weekend, and he said... So, we have this space upstairs (laughs) where we do plays that are not reviewed, and we're doing, they actually were doing a one act version of Handmaid's Tale. And he said, This play, we could do it as, you know, that would be the first act, would be your play, and then we'll do the Handmaid's Tale. (laughs) So, it was the craziest thing.
1: I mean, would you have the courage to do that
0: now? Absolutely not. I, I look back and I think, what? I, I think I get it from my dad. My dad, my freshman year, he was like, well, Chad, are there theaters on Broadway that aren't booked right now? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, why don't you just say if you, ask him if you can use them? I'm like, Dad, it doesn't work that way. And then it weirdly kind of worked in a way. So it was, it was crazy. It was only like a couple nights. It wasn't a big deal. But it was, you know, it felt really cool to be like, oh. This got to go up at the same place where Sunday the Park with George went up. I mean, that was nuts. And
1: how much of that did... Like, I, I often think that when professors or teachers like Doug, who saw in your work... Obviously, he saw talent in your writing. But did, he obviously could see something else in you, right? Your passion and just desire to get things up and get things done.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that that was probably it, too. Because he said, okay, now we... Uh, you know, everybody has to write a scene and uh, you know bring in a scene next week and I brought in a one act play (laughs) and I had them Xeroxed and Spiral Bound and he was like okay something's going on with this guy like I think he knew that I was really really wanted to be in the theater somehow and and, you know was really committed to it
1: yeah anyone that's going to do that (laughs) you know is just going to do something with their chosen field in their life because they're just going to keep pounding away at it until they do which you obviously have done yeah Uh, so then Rhythm Club so it gets optioned right, right? And yes. it is on a fast track to Broadway, and then, yes, as you mentioned, did not happen yes, so which it must have been crushing
0: it was I mean, we did a production at Signature theater that uh, Eric Schaefer directed, and we were we had a poster up in Schubert alley, and it was you know it was definitely happening until it definitely wasn't and money fell out and I think for, especially for Matt and me, it was a big test and a big turning point in our career because, you know, Matt was a, you know, conductor and musician, you know, on Broadway and he he was like, I can't even go into Times Square. Like, I can't, it's just too crushing. And it felt embarrassing. It felt, you know, just all those terrible things. And we had this heart to heart and I said, look, we can decide right now. I can, I'll go get a PhD and I can teach and you can be a music director or we can just double down and uh, I'll keep answering phones and bartending and you'll keep playing and conducting shows and we'll just, that's what it's going to be. And we just realized we had to keep at it. There was no other, if not, we would regret it forever. And so it was just, it was hard, but it was also, I think, in a way, it was made us more determined to, to make something happen, to somehow get to Broadway.
1: And what was the next thing that happened along the journey for
0: you the, another crazy thing was at the time I was pitching a screenplay and I walked into New Line Cinema and I met a guy named Mark Kaufman that I was going to pitch this screenplay which I sold they never made but it was terrible oh, not I'm to sure here we go again. To, <laughs> I'm a <laughs> terrible actor no, I'm the, screenwriter. I sold my first screenplay <laughs> this, this, this face is made of paper mache it's all a lie <laughs> no it uh, but I was there to pitch this movie and he said your name sounds very familiar and he said, wait a second, he had the demo for Rhythm Club because they were starting to do musicals with you know Margot Lyon and Hairspray. And we stopped talking about film immediately and started talking about, you know, musicals. And he's, you know, gave us our Broadway debut. He said, you know what, we're looking for somebody to do The Wedding Singer, and we were thinking of doing uh, you know, doing a jukebox musical and using pre-existing songs, but maybe, maybe not. Maybe we should do a, a an original score. And I was like, yeah, you know, of course, yes. And um, so it moved really quickly. It, it uh, Margot came on board, and uh, Tim Hurley, who wrote the movie, uh, ended up co-writing the book with me. And John Rando directed it, and it was our, it was our Broadway debut. So. Did you
1: have to—how did you audition for that? Did you just get it, or was Rhythm Club your audition, or did you spec stuff?
0: It was—it was—, it was funny we the first hurdle was tim hurley because he wrote the movie and basically had to give us the yes or no so um we wrote a couple songs did some demos you know mark liked them Margot liked them and tim liked them but tim was like i want to write lyrics too and i was like oh i don't know about that he was like why not And i said matt and i have been working for a long time together and lyrics are really important to me and he already actually had Two songs uh, in the movie, Grow Old With You and Somebody Kill Me, Please. So that was, you know, some negotiation. But, you know, I said, look, it's just really important to me that, you know, I want to write the new material. And so he said yes. And, yeah, it it was crazy because we... On paper, Tim Hurley he and I are like the complete opposite. I mean, he's like a big frat guy, and I'm like this little gay guy. We should have like not. It didn't make any sense at all, but we like loved working with each other and had a great time. And and you know, it was it was just so much fun to, to work with Matt and, and with Tim on it.
1: So here, here we, there's a definite trend in your life. So <laughs> you had you had this Broadway unfortunate disappointment and then you get handed a chance to write a Broadway show and you have the courage to say hey I, I need to write these lyrics uh, right. even though the only show that I've had so far on its way didn't happen Right? I'm yes. going to stand up to a big Hollywood screenwriter and say I need to do this what gave you that courage?
0: I don't know I think I, I felt I guess that you know it, for me it was just so personal I, I love writing book but lyrics are, I really am passionate about and I thought, and he had said to me, like, well, what if you write a lyric that's like, you dance a jig, and I cross it out and write, you dance like a pig. And I said, I would really, that would not be cool with me, you know. But it was all done in a very, like, look, this is just, these are my feelings, and you you have different feelings. Like, we could, it was never, we never fought once. We never, you know, it was all very sort of amicable. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think I just was, I felt strongly about it.
1: Let's talk a little bit about that craft, because you were a, found playwright I mean what you were just started writing plays right? right and then you went to school for it right. where did the craft of learning how to write a lyric come from
0: you know I have to credit uh Andrew Barrett from musical theater works the literary manager because I had you know I'd like tried to write musicals in high school and try you know the, without a composer I did you know a children's show with a a, a woman from my small hometown and and so I had been doing it but he, He was the one that first started saying things like, you know, that's not really a perfect rhyme. Or, you know, things that I should know as a lyricist. And so I began to really study. I was like, all right, if we're, you know, if we're serious about writing lyrics, then they have to be perfect rhymes and they have to be, you know, it's sort of... I started reading all these books on it because he sort of pointed out, you know, it's a little lazy. So after reading, you know, Ed Kleban and (laughs) all the other books, you start to realize, oh, this is more than just rhyming. This is an intricate intricate uh, art form. So I think that's when I really started paying attention to to lyrics and rhymes.
1: Do you have a favorite lyric book for everyone out there that's a
0: promising Oh god. Chad Beglin. Jeez. I don't know. It's been so long since I read them all. You um, should write one by now for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean they're they're all good. I mean Lehman Angle obviously is so smart. It's it's funny because it's something that some people just do not care about there you know some lyricists do not care at all and it just uh, there I'm going to misquote it but uh, Ed Kleban said you know all lyrics should be perfect because they can be and it's true if you take the time and squeeze your brain long enough there's a way to get it perfect and I do believe also the theory that if it's a perfect rhyme it helps the audience hear it and understand it better
1: well I think that's a very accurate quote but what I love about your lyrics is they're perfect, but they also sound like the character would sound. I think a lot of people can make things perfect, but it doesn't necessarily sound like that character would speak. Right. And you have a very, very good. There's a very naturalistic quality to your lyrics. How how long does it take you to write a song? Like, what's that process like?
0: It's all over the place. I mean, it usually. What I normally. It depends on I'm working with. I mean, I've only really worked with Matthew Squar and Alan Maken. So. Not too shabby. <laughs> um, with Alan, you know, we with both Matt and Alan, we talk forever and figure out what the song is supposed to say and what, what the purpose is. And then with Alan, it's usually tune first. There have been times when I've done a lyric first. With Matt, sometimes it's he's like, here's this tune, I don't know where it goes, or I think this is Act 2 love ballad. But most of the time with Matt, I'll write a dummy lyric, and then we'll meet, and he'll start to set it, but then I'll say, forget it, just go, go wherever you want to go, and then I'll... Retrofit the lyrics to whatever tune he comes up with so it's it depends I mean sometimes it comes really fast and sometimes it takes a long time <laughs> so
1: you've been working with Matt uh, for a long time now
0: I yeah guess. over 25 years oh my gosh yeah yeah
1: So, I can't imagine that you've gone through the 25 years without ever having a disagreement on a lyric or a melody. How do you? I was recently talking to some writers about this. How do you resolve a conflict, especially with someone who is now obviously a beloved friend and member of your family, practically, right? Right. When one person thinks one thing and one person thinks the other, what do you do?
0: Uh, Matt and I uh, have been through so much therapy (laughs) that we seriously are. Separately or together? (laughs) No, separately. Really. but we seriously I think we've maybe fought twice and by fight I mean I get quiet and he says what's wrong and I say well I just think that <laughs> you know we do, we've we never had like a you know I we I, we disagree but I think we value each other's opinion my the only things that I the, once slightly happened with Matt and has happened once or twice before It's and I don't throw a fit or get mad but I get mad when we can't try things let's just try it mm-hmm. let's just see and um there was one thing... We were, we were working on Elf, and we were... I wasn't even on the book for Elf. It was Bob Martin and the great Tom Meehan. And they wanted... There was just this little scene where Buddy the Elf was going to... They needed filler. And I said, well, he lives... He was born at the North Pole. He thinks he's an Elf. He's been around bells all the time. He should see one of those ladies, Salvation Army ladies, ringing a bell and be able to play, you know, like, crazy Carol of the Bells on it because he's just... And Matt was just like, no, that's... That, that, that no... And I remember I got really quiet. He's like, what's wrong? And I was like, I just don't know why we can't try it. And he was like, oh, yeah, okay, all right. And then it was this huge laugh, and so we laughed about it later because I was right. Because um, <laughs> it's out, now in the show. Exactly. So that's the only thing that really drives me crazy. It's like, you know, with directors, are like, no, I don't think so. I was like, well, can we just try it one night? So that's I think that's the one thing that is always like, that's what we're in previews for, or workshops, or but yeah, it's it's strange. Maybe there's this big, huge Beglin-Sklar fight coming down with that video. Nobody can see it. Something tells me no, <laughs> that's not it.
1: What you mentioned previews. What do you think about? Do you like the preview process? Does it freak you out? What's what's you've been through it a lot? Uh,
0: it's horrifying. Really? <laughs> yeah, I get especially the first preview when the lights go down on the very first preview, I am always like, no, 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 please stop. Please stop. It's like a roller coaster because you just don't know what you've got. And everything you think is going to be funny isn't. And then things you think won't work do. And it's just, it's this sensory overload, at least for me, where I'm just going, oh my God. Oh, oh, that's what this is. Oh, and that, you know, it's just so much information flying at you. And it seems so personal because when they don't laugh, it's nobody's fault, nobody's fault, but your own. So yeah, it's it's a very intense time. The, the great thing I can say about The Prom was it was surprisingly smooth sailing. And I don't know, it was just, we lucked out. It was a magical thing. We definitely changed a lot. But it wasn't like my other shows that have gone out of town and have gotten butchered <laughs> where you come in and you're going, oh God, what are we going to do? And, you know, Wedding Singer and Aladdin got bad reviews out of town so you walk in sort of going we are in trouble and what do we do how do we fix this oh my god oh my god (laughs) so um we got good reviews out of town with prom and then thank the lord we got good reviews here so it wasn't you weren't you know there wasn't that terror you know that you go to bed every night going what are we what's happening do you
1: read the reviews
0: yeah absolutely yeah I feel like you know a everybody else is going to read them, and b there might be something in there that makes sense. Anything that can ring a bell or make a light bulb go on or help in any way is great. I also you know we love Stephen Schwartz because he's such a great mentor, and when we were doing previews on Broadway for wedding singer i uh we said, Can we take you out to lunch and I just you know want to talk and he had seen a preview. And he walked through the door and I just went, help me, help me. And he was like, Chad, let's have some small talk. Let's eat a salad. And then, you know, once that was over, he started asking us questions and got us back on track and, you know, thinking like writers again. And, but, you know, it's great to have people like that in the community that you can turn to and go like, I am overwhelmed. What, 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 what do I need to do? What, get me back, you know, sort of in going in the right direction.
1: Do you, what about do you read chat boards or any of that Twitter?
0: I used to, but it's it, and it every show I think I'm gonna be you know like Rhythm Club. It just they just started happening, and it was it was that long ago. And uh, I was like I can go on all that chat. I'm tough. I can take it. And then I was like, oh my god, this is horrible. It was like you know I love my mom. I don't care what anybody says about her. And then you're like, oh my god, they're saying these horrible things about my mom. So I yeah I try and stay off now because just no good can come from it. So
1: talk a little bit about The Prom, because you know when I saw it, I just was overwhelmed at how much heart it had. And I remember seeing a workshop years ago, uh, and it went through, I mean, it's a totally original idea, right? So you right. can basically do anything with that story, as opposed to The Wedding Singer. Right. Right? Right. Do you find that more freeing or more challenging? Would you rather adapt where it's like, okay, it's Aladdin. I know what happens here.
0: Right. I mean, they're both sort of dicey propositions because, you know, with Aladdin, you can't put the movie on stage, but you've got to make sure the fans are happy. And with that, we actually had... I I had to figure out how to put these lost Howard Ashman, Alan Menken songs into the story, which had nothing to do with the narrative. But on the other hand, you have a basic roadmap. And so you sort of know how things are going to fall out, whereas an original musical, you have no idea. So you're just sort of... Every, it's a blank piece of paper, so you're just sort of going, okay, well, what if this happened, or what if this happened, or that character's not working anymore. We need something here. You know, it's just constant change and constant uh, putting it up and seeing, you know, what you've got, and then changing it all. So
1: you have worked with Casey Nicola a bunch. Talk yeah. to me a little bit about the how that collaboration works. And
0: it's it's great. I mean, Casey has this crazy eye and notices things that I have no idea what he's talking about sometimes. He'll be like, well, that isn't... Is is that really... She's going to wear that orange. And I'm like, I I don't know what you're talking... But he's right. And then it's changed. And I'm like, oh, yeah, now now that makes sense. Um, So he's very... He has a very visceral sort of reaction to things. um, And I've learned to sort of trust his gut because I, I really believe he has such a strong vision. So that... And especially with, I think, with prom, it sort of has grown working with him on Elf and then Aladdin and now Prom, it's it sort of evolved to where I used to be very nervous when I would have to rewrite a lyric on the fly because, like I said, I really love lyrics and I want to make sure I get it right. And um, I would get a sort of panic. I realize now that with Casey and now with Bob and with Matt, if they're saying, eh, I don't love this lyric, they're also saying, I believe you can do better. I think you can do better, which it has been It's just a tiny shift in my brain that I'm like, okay, calm down. It's going to be okay. Let's see if we can make this better. And it's very rare to find people that you trust like that, especially in a creative world where everybody's got different ideas of how something should be.
1: Do you like when directors come on early in the process in terms to help with the dramaturgy?
0: Yes, I love it. Because it's... Going to change anyway as soon as you get a director. So why don't we all start at the same time? Because you know, I I've never actually had this happen, but I know that there are directors who, if they come on late in the project, it's like, yes, maybe they think this is a better way to go, or is it just trying to put their stamp and DNA on it? So I think it's why not? I mean, we're gonna we're gonna be listening to each other down the road anyway. Let's let's all jump off the cliff at the same time.
1: You've worked also with a. Very diverse group of producers on all your shows, from Disney to uh-huh. Warner Brothers yes. to Dory and Bill on, yes. on The Prom. Who are your favorites and why? Oh, God. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, but seriously, what are the characteristics you look for from a producer nowadays in that in that relationship?
0: I, I think it's really... Uh, one thing that I loved that Margot would do was uh, Margot was very good about, we're going to give... The, the notes to the director and the director is going to give the notes to you and I thought that was great and uh, a, lot of, a lot of producers I've worked with do that but I think that is a, a, a great sort of way to handle it because if not you also, usually there are more than one producer and they have more than one opinion about <laughs> everything so it's, it can get it's, a lot of voices coming at you at once it's really hard especially when you're down to like previews so I love producers that go through the director because the director also will have an opinion about their notes. And um, I also like, you know, producers that will sort of let you work for a while and then come in as opposed to being there every day and sort of like, well, I don't know about that. You know, it's like, it's, especially if you trust the director, you know, let them sort of do their thing. And, and as Casey said many times, a workshop is his first draft. So it's sort of unfair to say anything until it's all up on its feet. This is the first time he or she is getting to see it. So it is a first draft. So I like it when that's when we start right, getting into nitty-gritty notes uh, as opposed to, you know, there's been times when it's like, oh, you feel like you're being watched by the producer as opposed to being trusted by the producer.
1: You, I'm sure, have lots of opportunities to write new musicals now with the success you've had. What draws you to a project?
0: It's funny, the the we're sort of looking for what's next for the you know the next casey bob matt show and uh i think we're definitely we're drawn to obviously comedy but uh the underdog and sort of uh you know that that sort of uh not feel good but you know somebody that normally wouldn't get the spotlight uh those are sort of stories that i'm usually drawn to
1: So let's say you find one. Mm -hmm. What's the first thing you do in your process? You say, okay, we're going to write this show. Right. You and Matt get room, and
0: what, what do you do? Well, what we would do is get together, I mean, if it's this particular group or any group, get together with the director and the other people on the writing team and try and put together some sort of really broad outline so that we sort of can start to see what the shape might be and also start to sort of song spot where we think musical numbers could possibly go and figure out, you know, the, the characters and their arcs and the subplots and how they'll tie into the main plot. So it's it's really about sort of putting together a treatment outline and then going off and starting to actually write dialogue and songs.
1: So we're in the middle of award season right now, which yeah. uh I mean you, you have to work hard. Yes. during this time of year. Yes, yes. You, you were saying before, it's like your fourth thing today alone, right? Right, right. yes. Uh, do you enjoy this part of the process?
0: It's funny. I I do. I I, I think of it as, you know, anything that I can do to sort of shine a light on the show is is absolutely worth it. It's, you know... And people are like, oh, how are you holding up? And I'm like, uh, great! <laughs> um, you know, the alternative would be to be at home crying because you weren't nominated. So... It's fine, you know. It's, it's it's so funny when people say that, like, "Oh, you're you holding up." Ah, uh, yeah, I'm just fine. But it's also, you know, I, I you never know when somebody is it, through what venue somebody's going to hear about the show and may decide to go and see it, and it might actually, you know, be meaningful to them. So you just, uh, it's it's worth it, and it's especially for this show that we just love so much and believe in so much it's it's definitely you know it's not hot
1: <laughs> alright we're going to go out with my uh, genie question which is so apropos Uh-oh. for you uh oh I, I didn't know there was a genie this. question I asked this question to every single oh. podcast oh, guest no. that comes on okay and I want you to imagine that the genie from your Aladdin <laughs> yes comes to visit you Uh, and wants to thank you for all your contributions to the theater and especially for putting an original idea on the stage and achieving the success you've had with it so far by granting you one wish. Now, like I said before, you're such a super nice guy. (laughs) What's the one thing that really pisses you off about Broadway that makes you angry, that would have you throwing things that you'd ask this genie to wish away in an instant?
0: I think it would be the sort of competitive nature because especially around award seasons, you're you're pitted against your friends, and it's these shows that have nothing to do with one another really, except the calendar. Uh, Eastown
1: uh, and The Prom, They're right? So
0: and yeah, it's like, wh- why are these being pitted against You know, but I understand it, and it's it's obviously the way it goes. But I, I do, I I wish it didn't feel like that and, and people you know talking about chat boards or you know fans you know they get so aggressive and whether they love your show or whether they love some other show it's just i wish we could remember why we're doing this is to tell stories and, and change lives not to get shiny awards though they'd be nice that's <laughs> a six-time Tony loser. I am the Susan Lucci of you know the Tonys. So uh, we'll so be pulling for you that night. <laughs>
1: but you're so right. I, I'm just thinking about it in comparison to other awards or other ind- entertainment industries. So Hollywood, there are like hundreds and hundreds of movies that could be eligible to win an Academy Award right. or a Grammy Awards. There's a handful. Yeah, and you know it, everybody.
0: Yeah, right? these and, are all your peers. Yeah, and you see people at all of these events, and you're like, "Oh my God, she's terrific!" I hope he loses. No, I'm kidding. No, it's it's just a weird thing that I, I'm just I'm glad I'm always glad when it's over because it's like, okay, that element has cleared the room, you know.
1: Well, congratulations on all the nominations. Thank Jared, you for all your success, and we will be pulling for you on them. Ah, uh, I appreciate fantastic it. Fantastic <laughs> story. Uh, go see the prom. Thanks to you for listening. We're going to go out with one of those terrific, Chad. Lynn. yes <laughs> songs and matt sklar songs who's also been on the podcast here uh so we'll go out with one of those tunes thanks and we'll see you next time but before you go i want to make a big announcement here on the producer's perspective podcast you have just listened to the very very last episode of the season that's right not the last episode for good don't worry Uh, We'll be back, Uh, but we have decided to take the podcast and divide it into two halves of the year. We're going to have a fall season and a spring season, just like the Broadway season. It's going to run basically how the Broadway season goes, or the school year, starting in September and ending with the Tony Awards in June. Uh, That's why this is going to be the last episode of this season. But we'll be back, and we've got a whole bunch of new plans in store. We've got a new logo coming. We've got bigger guests and better sound and all sorts of cool stuff coming so the next episode will be september 9th put it in your calendar september 9th is the start of the new season of the producer's perspective podcast or if you don't want to put it in your calendar just subscribe on itunes stitcher anywhere you want subscribe to my blog you'll get it emailed to you in the meantime we'll be doing a lot of throwbacks of the almost 200 episodes we've had uh up until now yeah 200 so you'll have lots of listening i'm sure you haven't heard them all let's face it you can admit it it's no problem i'm not offended now is your time to catch up i want to give you all a chance to catch up take a summer siesta summer siesta and we'll be back september 9th with the start of the new season of the producer's perspective podcast we have a lot of cool stuff in store for you like i said so be prepared for a very exciting year and now let's go out with dance with you from the prom. Have an amazing summer, everyone. We'll see you in the fall.
0: I just wanna do-